Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 34 with Ross Embleton. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Before we get into uh, our top guest this week, just want to say, obviously, look, this is the first show of 2019. I want to say a big, big thank you for all your guys' support over the last year in 2018, which has been an amazing year for myself and for my personal football coach. Remember, if you are enjoying the uh, the podcast, please do leave a review. Uh, it really does help. I really appreciate it. But I just want to say thanks again for all your support. We're uh, making big strides um, in in uh, improving player development, improving the quality of coaching around in world soccer. Look, I see it on, on social media now, the, the, the amount more, the, the, the increase in the amount of people talking about 1v1 now. I remember I've been banging on about it for years and years and people saying there was no such thing as 1v1 and now I think we have actually, together we are we're changing the, the, uh, the narrative, we're changing the discourse and, and people embracing 1v1 and, and ball mastery and, and it's improving and our players are going to be getting better and I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, uh, our movement and, and how, how that's progressing so thanks very much and obviously look the ball mastery program the app's been going from strength to strength the first full year um, you know we've got thousands of players all around the world in over 30 different countries uh, improving themselves so that's really going from, from strength to strength and you know that is now the world's you know world's number one ball mastery app so that's going good and also look we've got the coaches pass which goes for strength for strength we're obviously we're releasing you know sessions each week there from myself and from coaches from all around the world from we've got sessions from Dynamo Zagreb got sessions from West Ham from Tottenham from all the different clubs uh, around the world so regular sessions there and obviously skills and hints and tips and uh, the recently released e- e-learning course as well the 1v1 ball mastery has gone down fantastic keep getting lots of messages about people from that so really proud about that as well and obviously finally our club partnership um, obviously we've got Wolverhampton Wanderers and LA Galaxy on board. We've got some federations interested as well, but we've got, you know, we've got lots and lots of just uh, grassroots youth clubs around the world who are supporting player development, supporting their coaches in taking their games to the next level. So really proud to be involved with all of you guys and supporting player and coach development around the world. And uh, and I'm um, just, uh, you know, really thrilled to to be a part of that. So heading out to Chicago tomorrow for the convention. So if you're there, you see me, come and say hello. We want to connect with as many people as possible with my personal football coach we have a stall there this year so that's really exciting and uh, some big big things coming and don't forget obviously also if you haven't yet check out the Dyn- Inside the Academy episode 2 uh, Inside the Dynamo Zagreb Academy my uh, my newest release on the Inside the Academy YouTube channel about the Dynamo Zagreb Academy one of the top academies in world football uh, I've had a lot of feedback about that and I'm so excited because we've just just recently had some other clubs to accept to say they're going to do it in the, in the coming months and we've got some big big academies coming so that's going to be a really exciting series as well so lots going on as as always now to our guest uh, our guest is someone I've known for many many years and uh, his name's Ross Embleton uh, he's really um, he's had a, an amazing career already in in the game and you talk about football people people who are real football people this he really is uh, someone who is a football person he lives and breathes the game he's actually spent his whole well not only his whole his working career but also you know as a youngster playing at the Leighton Orient Academy 
Uh, he's really been in football, um, you know, ever since he's he he's he's been able to really he has an amazing career. Uh, he's been at clubs, for instance, started off at Leighton Orient in the academy uh, and as a player, then as a moved into coaching as academy manager. Uh, worked at Spurs when I was there, um, supporting the uh, the. Um, Development centres um, with the younger age groups. Uh, moved on to work at Bournemouth with the youth team. Uh, also worked at Norwich in recruitment. Uh, also worked then worked in Swindon in the first team. And also now as his current role as assistant manager at Leighton Orient, who are back on their way up, thankfully back to where they towards they where they belong in, in the football league. So an amazing an amazing journey. I tell you what, this is like really for me. This is one of the most engaging podcasts I, I've ever done in terms of literally. I. I didn't want to. I couldn't. I couldn't stop. You can tell it's it's a bit of a long one. I was I was sort of carried away because he's got such an amazing um, journey to talk about and so many amazing experiences at all those different levels. So really fortunate, I think, uh, for him to being able to really work from literally the youngest age groups to the first team and all those experiences which have really helped him get to where he is today and obviously be a top coach now working. Um, under Justin Edinburgh at Leighton Orient, they're doing really well. So, if you're, you know, if you're an aspiring coach, uh, this one really is not to be missed. It's got a lot of gold in there, so I really can't recommend it enough. And I'm, I'm really uh, fortunate he came on the show to to share his journey. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. So, Ross Embleton, welcome to the show. Thanks very, very much for having me, Saul. Uh, so, just give us a little bit of a brief um, rundown of your playing and coaching experience up to this point. Uh, from a playing perspective, quite limited, if I'm honest. Um, you know, like everybody else, started out as a young young player, living, trying to live out my my big dreams. But realistically, I wasn't quite good enough, so I was I was released from Leighton Orient at the age of sort of 15, 16. Um, which, looking back, for me was obviously quite a quite a big thing for me in my career because that was pretty much the time that I started started coaching. Um, really. Uh, when I look back, really beneficial period for me in terms of the work that I did um, heavily into football in the community, working with a real variation of, of groups and, and standards and qualities of, of players going into primary schools. After schools was probably my priority at that time and the, and the bulk of my work, but a lot of the additional things I also did was working on housing estates and uh, a lot of you know, tough places to play people with tough backgrounds in 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 and around sort of uh, East London. So, um, in terms of looking back at the type of coaching that I did at that time, it was you know, restrictive in terms of you know some of the qualities of players that I worked with. But it taught me a huge amount, and and, and like I say something I always look back on as a real value in terms of the way that I um, really learned to manage difficult characters, how I learned to work with real varied numbers. Uh, different qualities of players, so that uh, you know, you had to really pitch my session at, at different levels and for different types of uh, situations. So it's something that you know, I look back on with a, with a real value. Um, off so the back, so, of so then just yeah, just go briefly then. So then you work, you work to work. What was your role at Orient, and then just just go through. So the, yeah, like the background was football in the community. That like I say, um, and, and went on to sort of manage some of the programs that that I was coaching on back then, uh, and then. I started to, like a lot of other people, really keen on my coaching. I spent a lot of time viewing uh, sessions at the club's centre of excellence at the time. Um, so I had you know, the opportunity to, to watch a lot of good people. First time I came into contact with people like Chris Ramsey. Um, so I got to watch some really good good people coach and learn a lot from those people. Um, my dad was actually a coach at the, at the centre of excellence at the time as well. And 
people like my dad and, and other experienced coaches that were working at the time really taught me a lot about your personality, making sessions fun and enjoyable, even though it was you know a, a, what you'd perceive or call an elite level of, of football coaching. It was um, I learned it was really important to make sure that you know your sessions continue to be an enjoyable uh, you know environment for for kids to come and play in. So that was that was a really good thing, and, and it, it developed on there for me really. And I ended up you know taking age groups at, at the club's academy. Uh, then managing the younger age groups, I suppose now in, in EPPP terms, it would have been the foundation phase. Um, and then sort of moving through that quite quickly, I ended up within a three or four year period, changing personnel, people moving on, I ended up managing that program. So uh, I was centre of excellence manager uh, at the age of sort of 24, 25. So it was a huge position for someone of my age, um, real big and real positive opportunity for me to um you know, to manage a big program, so therefore it wasn't just about my coaching; it was more me learning about how to, you know, managing processes, how to manage a group of coaches, a lot of coaches with a lot of experience that were a lot older than me. So, um, you know, taught me a lot of different skills on top of my coaching. Really, uh, did that for a three-year period before I, um, before I moved on and left and went to uh, to work at Tottenham Hotspur as um, academy integration manager. My, my title was. Uh, obviously, know that I was working with yourself during that period, and part of that role was to manage the, I suppose, pre-academy and, and, and help out with managing the younger age groups at, at the academy. And then also alongside that was to look after the club's development centres and all the coaches that worked within that programme. So um, quite a big change of direction in terms of the age group of players that I was working with. Um, another good opportunity to work with, um, as you'd know, a, a you know, group of coaches that were sort of quite young and aspiring and up-and-coming coaches that were, that were working in that environment at the time. Um, so it was a you know, change in terms of the personnel that I was managing, but again, another good experience. And I, I think the big thing, and selfishly, that that gave me was a real opportunity to go to work every day with some people with huge experience. Obviously, you know, John McDermott's record speaks for himself. Alex Inglethorpe was somebody that I knew from, from working at Leighton Orient previously, but he was always someone that had a real impression on me. Again, touching on Chris Ramsey earlier, working with someone like Chris and then also other people around that as well, Dean Rashford, who had a wealth of experience, not just about being out coaching, but, you know, uh, you know, how, how to run an academy and, and manage those those huge academies that, that, that people like that have been been working around. So that was selfishly a real good experience for me. And then obviously at the latter period of that, someone like Brian Clue, people like, like that, that that came to the club and the academy there was, you know, a real good opportunity for me to, uh, to learn and develop by watching those people coach. But also, you know, touched on it before, but how they work with people and how they manage, you know, manage different people. And so then, um, uh, your next, just we'll just fly through these, then we're going to go back yeah, in there and tuck in the ones were um, next opportunity there was I, I moved on to manage the under 18s a youth team at AFC Bournemouth. Uh, that was at a period when the club had been taken over, so it was a, a club that was on the up, and obviously it's gone on to become the club that it is during that time. Uh, Eddie Al came back from Burnley as the manager, so that was you know someone real real value to work alongside and, and experience. Um, I wasn't there for a particularly long period, which was which is a huge shame because I loved that job. Uh, but I came away and spent some time at, uh, at Norwich City um, in in recruitment. Um, if, if I'm totally honest, it was it's not and isn't something that I look back on with with a fond memory, but. Um, you know, again, I suppose another experience that really gives you an opportunity to uh, to move on and learn a completely different side of the game. Probably learn to watch football a little bit 
different league than I ever have done before and probably ever done, have done since in terms of you know looking at individual players and and um, travelling around a lot of different clubs to see what what they do, how they work, how they play. So I suppose uh, in the longer term, you know, it was of real benefit and, and showed me something else to the to that side of the game that I've perhaps not experienced before. Uh, once I left Nigel, went back to Spurs and managed a 16 to 18 uh, college program for a period. So it got me back out on the grass and coaching a much much more regularly. Um, something that I really enjoyed. Some real tough times, some real you know difficult individual that we had uh, in the programme but we built that up from a group of 24 to by the time I left 18 months later to a programme that ran 92 um, 16 to 18 year olds so it was um, something that I really enjoyed enjoyed doing spent a lot of time going going abroad and working in China and America at the same time uh, in some of the programmes that Spurs were trying to build up there um, and then a drastic jump really I had a, an opportunity to uh, Someone I've spent a lot of time growing up around. Martin Lynn had been Leighton Orient manager. He appointed me as the uh, centre of excellence manager at Leighton Orient. He went back into management as uh, as the manager at Swindon Town, and he took me took me with him to go and uh, to go and work as his first team coach. There was three of us on the staff there, so it was obviously an incredible jump to go from running a you know, pretty much grassroots college program to going and working with full time professional players. So it was a massive jump for me. Uh, I spent just over 18, I think just under two years as Swindon assistant manager and first team coach and, and now find myself back where I started at Leighton Orient um, and I'm assistant manager. So my first response to that would be wow. <laughs> it's like that's a pretty uh, in, in, impressive football CV. I mean, I mean, listen, you, 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 you pretty much lived your whole, well, you have lived your whole career in the game, right? I mean, and obviously yeah, that, that comes with his ups it, and downs. I mean, it's, it's pretty, that's a pretty impressive and amazing uh, different sorts of experiences you've got there across the game there. That's the biggest thing that I take from it. Uh, if I'm brutally honest, it, it hurts sometimes that I've had so many different clubs and so many different places that I've worked at in terms of, you know, you look back, at, sometimes look down at your CV and think, oh, it looks like I've, you know, jumped from club to club. But obviously circumstances in football as most people would know, you know, change so quickly and, and when you put yourself into a situation of working at, I suppose, that that end where it becomes a little bit more cutthroat, then obviously your um, your circumstances and your opportunities can change. So I suppose taking the positives out of it, you know, I can look down now and I can say I've had a real variation. I've experienced pretty much most sides of, of the game. Um, at various different levels, and, and it, you know, I suppose now I have to look at it with a with a, with a proud view rather than one that, that, that disappoints me at the fact that there's been so many different clubs on that CV. Well, I mean, listen, you, you mean you know you you got to be think yourself fortunate as well in that way that you you've been you know you, you've had that you know your that career in the game, right? I mean, you know, yeah, oh. you've been really fortunate to work at some amazing clubs, some amazing experiences, some amazing clubs, and some amazing people as well. I mean. It, my, my biggest thing for me in, in, in what I do when you go to work every day, I think if you can work with good people and then you can work with good people that have had incredible experiences that are very, very good at your job, then I count myself very lucky. And I think some of those names, first and foremost, um, that I mentioned in that, you know, in that, off the back of that first question is, is, is fantastic of the things that I can take from those people. I've worked, you know, understandably like we all have with, with, with people, with, you know, those experiences have not been quite so positive, but you can always take something from everyone 
every experience, every club that you work with, and, I, and I'm proud to know that, that, that you know that's the, those people and those those experiences have helped me along the way. I think that's one of the things I miss most about being in an, in an academy is that it being in that environment where you've got those sorts of people around you, where you're surrounded by you know world class coaches, then you're constantly learning and getting ideas from, and you know and it's just on your doorstep. I think that's the one one of the main things I, I miss from being in sort in, one, in those sorts of environments. Well, I think, I mean, don't talk about that. I'm just, let's wind back a bit and then we'll go on to that, yeah. your work at the moment. Think about, I mean, um, that, that time at Orient then. I mean, you worked your way up into, um, in, into, into, as to academy manager. I mean, yeah. that must be pretty amazing, right? You're a local boy, local lad come, come good and, and, and running the academy there. What was that like for you personally? It was, it was daunting to begin with, um, because, I suppose we look at what an academy looks like now, and we hear a lot about E Triple P and what you know times that coaches have to spend on laptops and things like that. And I went from being somebody that would have been out coaching every minute of every day or every possible opportunity of every day that that I got to be out working with 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 kids and, and young footballers at the time to spending a big part of my day and a huge time of my week sat behind a laptop organising how the academy ran. And and if I'm honest, brutally honest, in the first few weeks and a month or so I didn't really have a clue how it worked and it took me a lot of um, a lot of digging a lot of um, clever questioning of, of different people at different clubs that um, that were in a similar position to me to start to work out exactly you know how it should look the way that it should look um, how best to organize things yourself you know and then be able to go out in the evening and still have the same amount of energy to go and work with um, with the with the you know with the, the players that are sitting underneath your um, your responsibility. Um, so how much was, how, how much time did you get actually get to, to to actually work on the grass then as an academy manager? In my first season, very very little. Um, we ran a very basic uh, day release program for for the boys to come out of school. So I was fortunate enough that I used to say I could get my fix if if you like on a on a Thursday sort of morning and early afternoon to go and work with those under 16s that were coming out of school and on the verge of getting their scholarships at the time um, to go and work with them. So I think that was probably the day that I really prioritised and I really had the opportunity to be with them because the youth team manager would therefore go from having sort of, you know, whatever numbers he would have had up to 18 in his squad and then to add probably another 10 or 12 of those on that day. So we could split the group and have an opportunity to work with uh, Kevin Nugent at the time and, and Andy Edwards, who was another good, really good coach who came, came to work at the club. Um, and we can manage that group together. So that was the time where I really got the opportunity to be out on the grass. But what I then lost the opportunity to do was go and do the same things with the younger players that I'd spent so much time with. Um, by the time I took over the, the, the Centre of Excellence, I think from... The age of under eight through to under 15, I'd signed, uh, worked with and recruited every single player pretty much that was at the club um, in terms of, you know, working from them when they came in the door at under eight right the way up until under 15. And then all of a sudden, by the click of the fingers, I'd been given a fantastic opportunity. But actually the bit that I adored and loved so much, of, you know, doing every day was, was sort of taken away from me. So... It was a bit of a strange situation to be in, but um, learning on the job every day, making it tweaks and changes where I could in order to try to help put things in place that I felt were going to help develop the players better was something that 
was uh, was extremely interesting alongside you know learning a completely different side of you know administration um, I suppose being a little bit more responsible of having to meet with parents and you know have those sort of situations and parents that probably looked at me as a little kid who coached their their kids <laughs> to an extent um, and all of a sudden become that person that was in charge and they were having to come to me to get the answers that they required so it was, it was a bit of a bit of a strange experience to be honest to begin with and you just mentioned it there you talked about answers they required I mean we we know we've been in that environment yeah. I mean how tough is that I mean know these guys these players you've 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 worked with you signed you may have known all the way through how tough is it giving these these kids decisions you know telling them they're not quite there I mean you obviously you said you went through it yourself how, yeah how, how'd you cope with that and you know I mean you know what are the strategies to support them and obviously support you guys having to make these difficult decisions I think um there's never first of all there's never a nice way of doing it um and and it's always I don't think you can ever say that it's um, you know there's a time in their lives in their period of, of being young footballers when it's easier or harder to to take or experience you know you sit there in front of that young 18 year old who's being told that he's not going to get a professional contract and then two two years before you sit down with them as they're about to leave school at an incredibly crucial period in their lives and telling them that they're not going to get a full-time scholarship is is extremely tough but then at the same time when you're you've got a small group of under eights and you're making a decision where you know people will say you know they're being released or they're they're being told that they're not quite up to the level it it is ludicrous to have to tell kids of that age what you know you're coming to that decision so it was it was it was extremely tough whenever whenever we had to do it I think the biggest thing that and a conversation that we always had as a group of staff was are we making the decision for those players at that period of time that is the best decision for them forget about us as a club forget about you know having the best players having the best groups having the best you know potential players to come through we'll you know we can we'll, we'll worry about that and we work with those as as we go and as we you know as we work through the weeks and through the season but are we doing the best by those children is it right that we're coming to that decision at whatever age we're having having to have that conversation with them and their parents. Is it the right thing by them to let them know that, you know, unfortunately that's the decision that the club and the coaches have come to, but ultimately it's the best decision for them. It's not going to be the right you know environment and the right opportunity for those kids to carry on. And I think obviously everybody makes mistakes and if people get it wrong. And I think that's the, that's the biggest part that I've always tried to sell to to those young players is I, I hope we're making a mistake. I hope you, you know, I hope you come back and, and prove us wrong and and um, you know and, and live to tell the tale for that little bit longer and come back you know a better player from the experience of you know of leaving at the time you know Leighton Orient Centre of Excellence. And because um, interesting, I'm just thinking that you've gone through that. I mean, you've been on the other side of the table, haven't you? Yeah, on that conversation. Yeah, I was in a corridor. It wasn't so much uh, <laughs> so much in a, in front of a table with my mum and dad sitting next to me. It was actually Chris who put Chris Ramsey who put his arm around me at the time to say to me, "Oh, by the way, mate, you're not going to get a, you're not going to be getting a YTS at the end of this season." But it's um, it, the game was different back then. You know, it was a, it was a, you know, old fashioned, and people didn't quite know you know, know how to how to deliver those messages. I suppose what we would perceive as being in, in 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 as much of a professional manner as they have to be have to be held these days. So it, it's tough, and, and like I say, I, I knew very very late that it, 
in terms of as I was just about to leave school. So I suppose that's something that lives with you. It's an experience that you don't want anybody else to have to go through. So when they when they are put through that, when you do have to deliver that message, you want to make sure that it's done first and foremost in the most possible, simplest, um, honest. I think obviously, of course, that that, that you know that, that you can deliver that for those for those young players. And um, just and just and talk a little bit about the you know the surrounding the environment. So I mean, you're, you're there in the in the middle of East London. You got West Ham on your doorstep. You got Tottenham on the road. You got Arsenal. Obviously, we all know really aggressive with their recruitment. What was it yeah. like being in that environment? I mean, was people just coming and raiding you and nicking your players all the time? We were fortunate then. I suppose now we've again touching on E Triple P and, and and the way that compensation is is set up for for you know clubs. At, 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 Different different levels of academies. It wasn't it wasn't so, so tight then. It was a lot more. Um, I'm not saying there was there was protection, but it wasn't as open in terms of people coming in and watching your players. You could be a little bit more protective of your own environment. Um, I suppose the, the the rules weren't in place um, that the E Triple P sets now. That we was allowed to you know pretty much shut our gates behind us on you know on the way into games, and and if a scout was in there, you were pretty much given the, the, the backing to, to kick them out. So it wasn't quite as easy for those clubs to come in and, and, and threaten your players. And when they did, it was then a case of if they're going to take us take them off of our hands, you know, it was a it was a battle, it was a you know a discussion to, 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 to be get what we owed if you like. And I don't mean to make that sound like, you know, you know, the players are put at that at that you know, under those under those constraints of, of, of being worth an amount of money. But it was you know as a as a club as a smaller club we were a little bit more protected back then. Um, did, 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 had, you have, did you have like relationships with clubs who maybe they came through the front door? Yeah, they, they... yeah, we did. Yeah, we, people, uh, good people, uh, other clubs definitely approached us a little bit more, you know, directly, and, and we could build those relationships. And I think the biggest thing that, that when players are moving from one one club to another is, is obviously that the player is the most important thing to make sure that they're going to get the right experience. Sometimes then walking out of one club into another doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be the right thing by them. You know, they may feel like they're stepping up and, and, and having a bigger opportunity lay, lay ahead of, of them. But it, ultimately, it's about making sure that that process is managed smoothly. So there was a, certainly a number of clubs that, that went on to sign a number of our players that that, that, was, that was managed well. I think from a recruitment perspective, in terms of going to toe-to-toe with those bigger clubs, we know that we didn't have the... Manpower were out on the ground watching games. We didn't. We had no scouts out watching watching games of football. But what we did have, we'd had years of working in football in a community in the local area where that came full circle for me. Really, to be able to um, call upon the relationships that I'd built with all the local schools. Um, you know, kids that on a, on the housing estate programs that you know I touched on right at the beginning. We had access to players that hadn't yet hit grassroots football. Some kids couldn't afford to go and play grassroots football. They didn't have the you know, family support behind them to get to grassroots football every week. So the only access they had to having a having a kickabout throughout the week was on a Leighton Orient community programme course. So that what that meant was we were seeing players, we had relationships with, with schools that um, we got ahead of the game. Um, teachers would flag up players coming in. At, at times we had a lot of trialists in, in our groups. Um, 
that meant we were all consistently looking at players. But that was the way that we had to go about running our centre of excellence because we had no real scout network out on the ground or what you would perceive as the traditional scout network out there with you know with a man in his coat approaching kids on a Saturday or Sunday morning. We never had the opportunity of doing that. But what we did have was we got we got ahead of the race and. Um, we managed to get some very, very good groups and very, very good individuals into our program at a very young age. And then what, what I would like, to, would, would say, I really pride, prided myself on was that we felt as though once we had those kids, they would enjoy the environment enough to not, not want to go anywhere. You know. Mm, interesting. So then, so then um, your next, your next challenge comes along. Uh, you're moving up the road to North London to, to yeah. Spurs. How did that come about? Um, Probably a good time for me. Like I'd I'd spent three years in in, the, in that role, and I felt that I hadn't had the opportunity because it was all you know forever foot to the floor in terms of the way that that was working. I really felt that I was evolving as as a coach because I wasn't coaching as much, or as somebody in that you know in that position, I wanted to become better at my job selfishly, uh, and I felt that a lot of the stuff that I was doing the things that I was implementing were if I could get on a course every now and again or if I could you know not as much access then as as, as you do now to to reading things on the internet and and, and picking up you know sessions and ideas off of you know off of the wonderful access that we've got these days I didn't think didn't quite have that opportunity to do that at the time so I started to feel as though I needed something else I probably needed to step away from Leighton Orient because I'd been there forever um I needed an opportunity to go elsewhere, and, and uh, David Dodds was leaving Tottenham at the time to go to uh, to Watford, I believe. Reading, he went Reading. Uh, Reading, Redding, sorry, yeah, yeah. Reading had been at Watford before that. Um, so Dave was in the academy integration role, as you would have known. You would have worked closely with him before. They're really good guy, and I'd been over a few times to to Spurs in the development centres on a on a Friday evening. Um, when the the kids were sort of out coming to the end of that period of I think it was under 11s or under 12s, which was when the development centre program stopped at Tottenham, um, they used to give me the opportunity to come over and play some friendlies, but also had the opportunity to to offer children the opportunity to come to Leighton Orient if they were not going to be kept on at, at that program that Spurs were running. So I had real good contact with with Dave Dodds. I'd worked previously with Grant Cornwell, who was the um, the head of the foundation at Tottenham. Um, so as that opportunity come up, uh, like everybody else, that, that, that job was advertised and I applied for that pretty quickly. And it was, like I say, it was quite a drastic change in terms of going from managing the overall program to dropping down to working with you know more specific age groups again. But like I say, the opportunity for me to go and work at such a fantastic club, um, what I thought was a magnificent facility at Chigwell at the time, um, all of those things added up to it being, you know, what I felt was going to be the next stage of my career to to help me develop. So, what what are the main differences uh, you found between the two clubs there? Um, a number of them, really. First of all, the amount of people. Um, not not saying that that's the biggest one, but you know that that was a real big draw for me to go and, go and work with huge amount of people. Um, both full time and part time, and, and have the opportunity to work with with, with new facing people that I'm, you know some that I did know, but but others that, that I didn't know quite so well. That was that was that was massive in terms of going into to work with that every day. And quickly found out that Chigwell wasn't as big enough training ground for Tottenham, and they were yeah. obviously planning the building and the, and the uh, relocation that they've they've gone on to do. Um, I think the real identity 
that the club had as an academy, um, the direction that they wanted to go in in terms of um, how they how they developed the players, the way that people were, you know, like yourself and and the good coaches that were around at the time. Um, you know that real desire and the way that people worked, the the real focus on the individual qualities and the individual techniques of the players was something that really excited me. So just just uh, just just, go, just talk a little bit about that, obviously, because obviously the listeners won't have been lucky enough to to work in that environment. What, what do you mean by that? And tell us, I mean, because people might just all assume that all academies do things the same way in terms of you know the syllabus, but just tell us a little bit about the unique things that were going on at Tottenham at the time. I think it was the individual was the biggest thing, the focus on the individual and, and um, the real um, desire from, from everybody at the club, certainly within the, within the foundation phase, um, to really create exciting, um, energetic, um, dynamic young footballers. Uh, I felt, you know, there was a real... And I, I suppose I was in this to begin with. There was a real misunderstanding from from a lot of people that Tottenham just wanted to create dribblers. I think what I soon learned quickly being in that environment was it was about trying to develop players that were comfortable with the ball. It was trying to develop players that were comfortable with the ball but were capable of protecting and shielding the ball, staying on the ball, being able to manipulate the ball to get themselves into... You know, get their bodies into different positions and face up opponents and step away from opponents whilst always having that real um, control and, and manipulation of the ball. Um, and then whatever player you were going to become over the longer term, you still always had that real foundation and that base that that, that, that philosophy gave you. Um, you know, nine times out of ten when you were working with with the real tiny ones, the under-sevens and under-eights, it did become about people, you know, driving at people 1v1 but it consistently gave those young players that were coming through that ability to to be comfortable on the ball and, and to try to dominate the opponent whether that be to go past him to pass it past him to you know to combine to get the other side of people um, those real basic fundamentals that, that were drilled into the boys week in week out in a real real energetic and fun environment was for me a real something that really stood out and I think what we what I saw quickly in the early stages, you know, while still sort of observing everything and trying to get to grips with it, was there was that real identity when you went to play other teams and other clubs. And they, of course, had their own philosophies and the real desire to go and develop their players that they did. But I, th- I felt that we always had that little edge and that little extra uh, bit of energy and excitement in the way that, that, that our players went out to try to perform in games. It's I think the other thing it, it did for me as well, in, it's, again, touching on the younger age groups, but what it really did was it, that philosophy then took away that um, the end product to a game, you know, that you must win, you must you know not get beat, you must not make mistakes. All the things that come with how a lot of people start out thinking that their coaching and their team should look. I think what that did was that, that that drew a lot of that away because the whole week, the whole every session, every time the boys come in to have, have contact with with our coaches and, and the environment that we had, it was about what they did as an individual, how they could impose themselves on a game, how they could best execute the techniques and the skills within you know within the, their, their training sessions, if you like. Yes, I think we, you made a great point there just um, previously when you talked about, you know, they're having that edge over teams, looking at that individual, you know, brilliance, if yeah. you like, that dynamism 
um, especially in the foundation phase. And that's what I can, I don't know whether it, you have to work in that environment to appreciate or see that. But when I, you know, we used to play other teams, I used to see that, you know, individually our players were so much better, so much more exciting and, you know, maybe we didn't win as many games, but technically and, you know, individually, we were just, we were sort of, you almost, you'd be like, you know, leaps ahead and you'd almost wonder why, you know, for instance, the FA's not getting on this and saying, let's, you know, let's, you know, enhance this, you've made this, let's get everyone doing this sort of work. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, certainly, and, and I think, you know, you listen to people's opinions on, on our academies work and the fact that kids go into academies at five and six years old and you know there's you hear a lot of the time that's there's a negative viewpoint on that but what i really learned quickly from from that environment at spurs was the, the kids were so infused by that philosophy that so it, it created so much energy in the sessions um when you think back to, to when we used to do the thursday nights uh, we used to combine age groups and we had, yeah. you know, the birth bias and all those sorts of things where the coaches had to come up with a theme for the for the Thursday night games night, if you like. The energy and the enthusiasm, the intensity. I'm not saying that isn't replicated anywhere else. I can't, you know, at the number of clubs I've worked at, I can't say that it was. But I'm sure that, you know, the other kids going to the other environments, a lot of other clubs with that same enthusiasm. But that energy that I felt there, I've never experienced anywhere else since or, or before because I just felt really feel that it was it, it made kids so much more energetic and dynamic and and for, and for me coming into that environment it was um so nice to see those kids so so happy you know I think let's say we touch on the fact that they go into these clubs so young now but if you're creating a you know a, a free environment where kids can go in and express themselves and they enjoy playing football then I'm not convinced that there's too much wrong with that certainly wasn't winning from, from what I experienced at Tottenham Absolutely, and, and just uh, thinking about when you were at Spurs there, so obviously a lot of your work was with the younger age groups and working with development centres, and and you were sort of, uh, you know, make, make almost making a lot of decisions on the the under eights, uh, if to be signed or not be signed. It definitely had a big influence in that. What was that like though, in terms of I talked about it earlier in terms of the environment? Now you're at Spurs, but I remember you know, Arsenal knocking on our door a lot. They were very aggressive. They used to be into our players a lot, and you know those 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 years. I mean, what was it like trying to in that really ultra competitive environment, trying to can get these under eights in when you're competing with Arsenal, Chelsea, obviously across London, really throwing you know everything at it, and West Ham. And you know, what was it like trying you know being in that role in that environment? It was tough. It was tough because um, I found it difficult to adapt to begin with because I felt come away from from Leighton Orient working with. You know, kids at times where I was telling them that what I felt was a real critical time of their careers at 16 and 18, that they were not going to be full-time professionals. To go in and the priority in my job being to recruit and try and get the best under eights into our program, and I found that tough to begin with because I felt, is this right? Am I, you know, am I selling them? Am I selling them the right thing? Am I making sure that it's going to be the best environment that it can be? For them, so that that bit was difficult. Always remember our first game against Arsenal, and and I couldn't believe how intense everything was. <laughs> I couldn't believe how we wasn't allowed to go and really play against anybody else in and around the area because everyone was so competitive, and that some kids were coming to Tottenham on a Monday, going to West Ham Tuesday, Watford Wednesday, Arsenal Thursday, Chelsea Friday, and and they were out every night of the week training in different environments. I understand why, because you, you know, as a parent, you'd want the best thing for your 
for your child, but I just couldn't believe the, the level of intensity for, you know, I suppose what we would what we would say now were, were the best kids in London. It, it was incredible, um, and and the fight that went on with scouts and people get people in the door and this scout telling me that this one needed to be signed and this one was going elsewhere if we didn't do this for them. I found that very very difficult to deal with um, for for a group of kids that were sort of you know eight or nine years old. Um, but obviously at the same time what we did know and what we what we, what we go on to learn and, and when you look at Tottenham's success now a lot of those kids that not necessarily that, that, that were signed by me at under eight but kids that have come through and players that have gone on to you know to make their debuts and that sort of thing they were, they were in and around that environment from seven or eight years old so I totally understand why it is so competitive I just found it very difficult to get my head around at the time uh, um, you mentioned there the under eights game. I remember that those those the first eights game we used to play Arsenal after the yeah. signing day, and uh, you talked about intensity there. It was it was a proper derby even at yeah, eight. It was incredible. Um, it was incredible. All the why? coaches would all be all be yeah. embracing each other, talking to each other before, and then the game would kick off, and it uh, would be. But I, it was like there was a, a level of animosity there, almost like there the real wasn't like you know, even at that at well, that time. I think it's changed now specifically. Like there was real. You know, it wasn't much love lost between the two no. academies. No, even. very. Um, it was well. It was. It was something I'd never experienced before, and I'm not convinced it was totally right. Like I say, I think it's. Um, I think it, there was some fantastic. I mean, the level of football was incredible when I, when I think back to that first experience of watching. Yeah. What was going to be Tottenham's under nines against Arsenal's under nines? The level of football was outrageous, really. But um, like I say, it was it was a very difficult thing. That, something that I probably never quite got totally to grips with. Of, you know, he was almost having to put a sales pitch together for parents, and that was that, that was like I say, where I felt that the real, um, real value or real for me, and a real misunderstanding for a lot of people, coaches, parents, you know, rec- people that were involved in recruitment, were we were seen as these people that were trying to create, you know, the new Lionel Messi's or the next Lionel Messi's, and it wasn't there. That's where the real misunderstanding of Tottenham's philosophy and that real desire to develop players one v one. You know, to be one v one dominant, whether you're an attacker, whether you're a defender, whether you're a passer, whether you're a dribbler, whether you're a goal scorer or, or a midfield creator, you know, those those real um, that, that that real strength in philosophy was was a, was a huge one. And, and you mentioned previously earlier about the the sort of people you learnt from. I mean, that's I remember that environment with all those people. And I mean, what was that like coming into that with so many, you know, unbelievable. Coaches there, sort of like Chris Ramsey, Alice Inglethorpe, John McDermott. Obviously, Danny Buck was there. Lots of yeah. people, like you know, just what was that like going into that environment and work and seeing those guys working every day? Well, it was incredible because you know, touched on Chris. Chris was a big influence on me because he was my coach when I was fourteen. Um, so I knew I knew what he was capable of. He's always someone that I you know valued highly in terms of picking up the phone and, and getting different ideas. He had played a big role in putting to helping us put together a you know. You know, I call it a philosophy. It was a very vague one in comparison to what people are now. But when we were doing that at Leighton Orient, so I was really excited about working with Chris again. And Chris's passion and enthusiasm, and his ability to come and work with what you would have seen him doing with Tom Carroll and Harry Kane in the morning, to coming back upstairs and working with Oliver Skip as a nine-year-old. His yeah. enthusiasm to be coaching, at, you know, at the intensity and the level and the quality that he did was. Very, very difficult to be matched. I think Alex Inglethorpe, very different in terms of the way that they are and the the skills and the you know, level of quality of coaching that they deliver. But both 
absolute top drawer in the way that they go about. Eric, Alex was very particular in his planning and he's just he's you know he's reviewing of, of the sessions that he did. I thought he was very detailed in term, very calm in the way that he, he he came across working with a variety of different players. And the same with Alex, his, his, his love and his passion for coaching was that he would work with same sort of players that you know names that I've reeled off there in the morning and throughout the week. And then on a Friday night he'd stay and work with our development centre kids and coaches on a Friday night until 8, 9 o'clock, whatever time we finished. And so his, his, his passion and his enthusiasm and desire to develop players and to be out coaching was, you know, for me, something that you, you know, never, you know, never been able to, to see, see match before or, or since, really. Um, you know, and, 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 and same with John. John, John was... Um, you know, probably build a stronger relationship with John as I did, you know, the other two people that I mentioned. But in terms of his detail and his, you know, the way that his mind worked was, uh, you know, was incredible really at times. So, um, no, some outstanding people to be able to learn from and work from. And, and like I say, not just from a from a from a coaching perspective, it was their, you know, their enthusiasm and their desire to constantly be doing it and, and to constantly be develop, helping develop players of the future. I think that's that's my. I think back to then. It's just it was inspirational, really. We're surrounded yeah. by those sorts of people, and obviously the people that have gone on to do other things. Is the I can't you know at the time I don't think we realised. I certainly didn't realise how lucky we was. That was my first academy experience. I was really blessed, and you know I just thought that was the way it was. But surrounded by such so many world class practitioners, it was impossible not to feed off that. Yeah, and 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 you know no, no snobbery. In the way that they worked, no, you know, no thought process. You know, never got the feeling that anyone was trying to do something to outdo anybody, or you know, you know, gain extra brownie points for anything. Everything that they were that they were trying to do, everything that they were, you know, solely focused on was the development of the players that they had their hands on at that time. And like I say, whether it was a boy that first turned up at a development centre, you know, off the back of grassroots football, or if it was somebody that they felt was going to be, you know. John Bostock, Dean Parrott, players that were a real priority for the club at the time. Their enthusiasm and the, in the manner that they worked was um, was outstanding every day. And it was those standards that, that people like that set that first started to make me realise that there was, you know, how much of a bigger picture it is in terms of, you know, how you want to be perceived, how you want to be looked upon, you know, as you as you develop as a coach as well. You know, you, you start to realise, well, hold on a minute, these people are having a huge effect and a huge impact on me. You know, I'd, I'd like to be able to be considered in a similar light one day. You know, absolutely. So, just, just tell us then. Obviously, then opportunity at Bournemouth comes up. Uh, yeah. How did that come up? Well, I I wasn't coaching enough again, Saul. To be honest, and, and like I say, I started to wonder and what you know what, what direction it was that I was going to go in. Was it was it you know um, as E Triple P was, was was sort of coming into play? Was I going to be one of those you know? people in a, in a particular role you know operations type role where you know wasn't considered as a coach but you know felt felt like I would have had other strengths in other areas because of what I'd done at, at, at Leighton Orient and then obviously my role at Spurs and I was really keen to just get coaching a little bit more and have an opportunity to be working with players a little bit more I knew what my priority in my job was but didn't feel as though I was able to get out and coach enough um, and it was becoming a bit of a vicious circle that people at the club didn't see me as a coach because I wasn't coaching enough. So therefore, I couldn't get that access to, you know, to being work, having contact with players on a regular basis. Um, so the opportunity came up at AFC Bournemouth. They had a change of manager. Uh, the people that were in were within 
um, the academy uh, moved up to work with the first team so an opportunity became available there and, and, and similar to Spurs we went down there for an in- interview um, and it, it was a big it was a big opportunity a big move moved my family down there just had my, my, my little boy my second child so we, we relocated to Bournemouth but it was a it was a fantastic opportunity for me to get out and work with under 18s players day to day and be able to start to put to, put in place things that you know I'd learned over over quite a lengthy coaching experience that I'd had by then um, but I could start to input what you know what I felt was was were really important and the things that I felt I could you know help to develop players at, at a club that was really aspiring to get to you know get to where it got to so tell us a little bit about that then you're you're you know you're back on the grass you work on the 18s what was that like in terms of you know practically then like you said you've almost gone from coaching every day to being more management and then another yeah. sort of admin role and then you're back on the grass every day what's that like in terms of I'm interested you know you know in terms of coming up with fresh ideas for sessions thinking about your philosophy you know did you take stuff from Spurs or was it stuff from Orient I mean what was what was all that sort yeah. of you're thinking in them areas so, um, very much very much just the the Obviously, bits of bits from both. Really, I think my biggest uh, and and the first challenge for me was trying to get an understanding of uh, how best to structure a week. Um, and, and to some coaches, that might sound very very basic for someone going into work with a, with a youth team. But I wanted to make sure that you know when do we do? You know, obviously every day you go out and you have your warm up and basic structure of a session where you, you know you warm up and you, you have your topics that you want to work on through your game throughout your day. Um, you know, your small sided work, but how do you build that up towards the game at the weekend? Because obviously at under eighteen level, the game becomes that little bit more. Um, you know, not, not necessarily result focused, but you all of a sudden you're playing in a league. Players are having to start to learn about how to manage games and 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 get results and, and understand how to how to win or avoid defeat. Those sorts of things. You, you, you know, you're going to be playing in the FA Youth Cup. So, how do you structure a week where you continuously develop those players, but also give them the opportunity and get them ready to make sure that they can go and perform in a game as as a team at the weekend. And then the flip side of that, what are the physical outcomes? How do we make those players, you know, work to the level where they're consistently improving their, you know, their various uh, physical outputs that they need from from particular sessions, but at the same time matching that up with, you know, with the technical and tactical aspects as well. So that was something that I really spent a lot of time trying to make sure that I was getting right. And then the flip side of that, and a massive thing for me. Um, then and then off the back of leaving Tottenham was how do we really individualise their training programs? Um, when can I put that in? You know, how many afternoons a week can we go back out? How many afternoons based on you know the the, the program that was in place for for those scholars every day? How do I fit that in to make sure that they're getting what they need technically, tactically, and physically throughout the week in their normal sessions, but also to make sure that I really individualise, give them their opportunities to to develop their techniques and their you know and their deficiencies and their strengths as an individual. I think that was something that was massive for me. The amount of time that I could give them to to practice. So, um, so then I mean, you talked about then you know so going back to the the the, the previous point. How, what did you go? Yeah. How did you find out about that stuff in terms of structuring your week? Obviously, thinking about loading that sort of thing. You've sort of gone in there. I mean, you know, even then, I mean, the uh, the things are a lot different, I imagine, 
in terms of like how yeah. to, you can, in terms of accessing information like that readily. I mean, you've gone and you're, you're sort of straight into the deep end, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. Um, obviously, there was a program in place that you know that I walked into that that the people that were were there in in my role previously had had left behind, and and some of that was literally you know what days do the boys have their education and their um, you know their, their their study sessions around around the education that they do as part of their scholarship. So obviously, we have to fit in around that. That was probably the first thing that I had to do really make sure that we you know not. Well, you had to prioritise that to an extent because you had an outside outside source coming in to deliver those those to the boys. So we needed to make sure that we fitted in around that. Um, but what I was really, really, like I said, touch, going back to, to what I was just saying there, but what I was really keen to do was give the boys the opportunity to, to develop and practice themselves. I felt that when uh, when I watched Alex's sessions, when he had the opportunity to take boys out in the afternoon, there was... That, you know, working in small groups, in twos, in threes, in units, if you like. Um, but what he allowed the boys to do a lot was go out and practice individually, to go out and rehearse their techniques, to go out and, you know, express the, the, the different areas of their game that they needed to do themselves. And then he was there to assist them with that. But it wasn't coach-led. It wasn't necessarily... Alex ramming down the throat of no, this is how you strike the ball with your left foot, or this is how you curl it with the inside of your right foot. He was there as a, as a support, but the boys had a real opportunity to go and you know get out there and and and, and you know have 20, 30, 40 opportunities at striking the ball at a goal, or bending a free kick, or taking a corner, or working on their crossing, or practicing their heading. And I felt that that was a real big thing that I hadn't really seen a great deal of before. Um, but Alex had given those boys that real opportunity to have that that time on their own, and I suppose that fits in with that philosophy that I'd left behind at Tottenham of that individual about making sure that we give the individual the best opportunity that we can to become the best player that they can. So that was something that I put in pretty quickly, and we sort of set up like, clinics, if you like, in the mornings when we could, and in the afternoons when we had the opportunity to have lunch and go back out again um to go and give those boys that that structure throughout the week on the outside very low key in terms of the way that we worked so there wasn't a massive amount of physical coming out of those those particular sessions we tried to limit the opportunities that they had to do it in terms of the amount that they did so that that would put a little bit of pressure on the techniques that they were working um so that they were rehearsing under a little bit of pressure but all albeit in their own environment in their own way on a lot of, on a lot of occasions and, and and myself and the other coaches that were around just dipped our toe to, to try to you know ease them along and help them along and shape the certain techniques and, and areas of their game that they were working on. So I mean, obviously, look, you worked in some amazing environments, and you know, second, you know, you talked about the, the importance they're working away from the game. I mean, what's your thoughts on all this? These um, the messages you're hearing that on particularly from some people about you know that working away from the game is a waste of time it doesn't transfer to the game I mean obviously you're fortunate enough to work in elite football worked in some some of the top academies and where you see it so you know it's such an integral part I and mean, even at the top level I mean, what what's your, what would your, 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 your thoughts on that be? I, I personally feel that it leave having people you know away from practicing away from the game sorry lots of phrase that you used there but you know that that that, I just think it creates so many more, so much more expression, so much more individual individuality, if you like, to the way that people work. You know, we 
you, I still get my you know people people of vast experience, older people than me, tell me kids don't play football in the street no more and don't do this and don't do that. You know what it was like in the good old days, but I, I suppose what we have lost off the back of those you know that you know, that history that, that, that people have had in this country is what we've lost is the the understanding of how to practice, of how to go and express yourself on your own, how to go and kick the ball you know, against the wall, if you like, or try and clip it to hit the crossbar on your own, whatever the little particular individual areas of, of games kids go and do. So and I, so I think it's massive. I think you know they get an understanding of how to master the ball by themselves um, rather than being reliant on somebody else all the time. Talk about decision makers. You know, there's so much time spent by us as coaches, and you know, I'm sure I've been guilty of it myself of feeding players with information because you think that's you know that's going to help them get better and it's going to help develop them and, 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 and move them forward. But I think sometimes them being able to do that on their own and have that ability to go and go and you know practice in a certain way or 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 you know strike a ball over a certain distance whatever it is that they might might be trying to master at that particular time i think them being able to do it alone and stand alone or alongside a alongside a friend that's practicing a similar sort of thing i, I think that there's huge value in that um, it doesn't always have to look like a game of football, does it? You know, I'm sure you, you know as well as anybody that that phrase was used at, at Spurs all the time. That it doesn't have to look like a coaching session. It doesn't have to look, you know, perfect. It doesn't have to be that there's a line of white cones over there and a line of red ones, and, and everybody's got the right colour bib on. It doesn't have to be set in that way. You know, it, it's about trying to give individuals the opportunity to go and develop themselves alongside. The structure and everything else that comes with, you know, being in in, in, in organised coaching sessions. Interesting. So then, obviously, well, let's move on because I don't, I don't, I want to try and cover as much as possible with you, mate. So I remember then one going back to Tottenham to their fancy new training ground when I was at Chelsea and bumping into you, and then you telling me that about your new role. That was when you were working with Norwich. So just tell us a little bit about that role, how that came about. Um, I'll be brutally honest. I was out of work. Um, I'd, I'd, things had changed at, at AFC Bournemouth, and there was a bit of tug of war going on at the top of the club in terms of you know a bit of power and takeover and money and all those sorts of things. So I, I fell victim as part of that, and, and I had to move away from that. So an opportunity came up to go and work at, at Norwich um, in recruitment. So my role was uh, to manage or oversee the the recruitment in the sort of the southeast, if you like. So we had a series of development centres in different areas. This time, the development centres not, not like it was at Spurs, where I was working with the younger age groups. This was more 12 to 16s, kids of an age that were capable of travelling from the areas where we were running those centres into Norwich. Um, so you know, prioritising the 12s to 16s. Then throughout the weekends, I would spend a lot of time going around clubs. Uh, watching games, watching different age groups, watching particular players. Um, that was all with a view of sort of building up a, a database, if you like, and a library and a knowledge and an understanding of players that were out there so that if players were were leaving other clubs, we would have a, an understanding of what what they were like. We would have seen them and we, you know, we'd have a knowledge of, of whether they were capable of, of coming to Norwich. And then the flip side of that, there was always, a, you know, I suppose, a, a pot of money, if you like, with the... With them becoming a, a category one academy, for them to go out and you know and and, and buy players and bring players in at, at a certain level. So it was a real mixture. Um, 
what the biggest thing that I took from it now looking back is that I had the opportunity to go around to a lot of clubs of a different level, different scale, all going through the first real phase of of triple uh, P audits and you know a bit of that jostling for, for position as to who was going to become a cap one and a cap two and a cap three and how, how that was going to change each club. That was really interesting to be able to see that. It was really good to be able to un- get an idea and, and, and a start to value again, I suppose, other philosophies um, after what I'd experienced and what I'd learned at, at Tottenham um, to see how other clubs did things, how people approach games of football. Um, that was that was really interesting. Now, when I look back to see how those different clubs worked, and how you know clubs that were perceived as smaller category two, category three clubs, how they you know how they went about their business and tried to compete with you know with, with, with some of the bigger and stronger academies. So that was that was that was a real you know really valuable uh, experience off the back of that. Um, personally, I had a bit of an issue with the fact that I was. Seen as a scout rather than a coach. I was going to um, say that you've that you, hurt, you keep saying for this coaching role, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it hurt me, um, and I found it really tough to watch football for a while. In terms of, I was watching games as a coach and trying to identify, you know, why weren't this player doing this, or why was he in this particular area? And really, that wasn't my job. My job was to watch and identify the best players and pick out the strengths and weaknesses and work out whether or not they were. You know, try to get an understanding of what level we felt they were they were capable of going and playing. And but that, that, I'd say that was a real for a real misunderstanding of I suppose what my job was about to begin with. Um, and that, yeah, and uh, it was I found it really tough. Um, I didn't like I, said, I didn't want to be seen as a scout. I didn't want to I didn't want to be that person that walks through the door and everybody's watching me, waiting for me to go and try and tap up someone else or try and get somebody's ear. I didn't want to be perceived at that and, and, and I didn't, I wasn't capable of, of being that but being a scout, I think that sometimes the uh, the image that goes with being you know, in, in an area of, of recruitment that people do do look at you with a bit of a um, shady look at times and I, and I was quite uncomfortable with that. Um, it didn't last particularly long, I was there just over a year and they, they Norwich went down that season um, so I was on the move again and I was made redundant so um, it was um, like I say it, it, an experience now I'm out of it and I've done it an experience that I look back on with that I can take things out of it that I felt was really you know re- of real benefit to me individually but it was a, it was a role that at the time I, I found very very difficult uh, I was, that was going to be my next question I remember John McDermott saying to me once uh, don't be seduced by the uh, world of football you know, the only one guarantee is that sooner or later you're going to lose your job in whether you're a player yeah. or you're a coach. So, I mean, that's, you, you, I mean yeah, you, you've got a family, you've got a young family. Obviously, you moved them up from Bournemouth then back to London. I mean, I mean, how difficult was that for you? And obviously, you know, as, as a, on a, on a, on a on that level, having to to deal with that and then go and you know to find some new work in that same industry. Well, hugely, it was a it was a real test. First of all, financially, you know. The cost that comes with you know with moving house and then having to having to move again is um, you know it, it can be crippling at times. So that was that was really tough. It was difficult. The fact that my little girl was just about to start school and we were getting all of that organised down in Bournemouth and then that was sort of all thrown up in the air and we had to. Well, fortunately, we moved back to to the area an area that we knew and I was able to commute to uh, to Norwich. So that wasn't you know too much of an upheaval but what that, you know what it did do is it puts huge pressure on you to, to understand where, where your next role where your next job's coming from you know so 
it was um, it was a real tough period for all of us as a family and all of you know all the people that that were around me to to try to get over that and and, and like I say I loved the job down at Bournemouth and I loved the area that we lived in so it was even harder to be able to move away from that um, but because of the way that football is because of the way that the industry is you have to get over it you have to find a way of of recovering from it um, you know there's not always a huge amount of opportunities and jobs out there that are, that are available to you um, so that was a, that was also a concern as to where the next one was going to come from you know um, but um, like I say, it was it was it was it was tough, but I think certainly certainly a period that I look back on it, it definitely makes you stronger once you, you know once you have to try to deal with that, that that you know that situation and try and come out of it the other side. So and then so obviously look, you, you've gone back to Spurs. We're going to skip that one because I want to concentrate on Swindon for a bit. Of course. And um, because finally you're you've got this uh, you got your coaching role that your yeah. your full time coaching role that you want. Tell us a little bit about that, how that came about, and that experience. Yeah. Um, I suppose like it's something that I always wanted to do. I would hope that I, I would, I would do, but you know, don't don't think I ever really thought it was a reality. I don't think I ever really imagined that I was going to get that opportunity to go and work at, as a as a first team coach at the time uh, at such a you know at such a big club in in League One. Um, Sometimes you know, people sit there and say it's who you know, and, and a lot of the time situations in any walk of life are. And, and I was fortunate enough that I had built up a very good relationship with Martin Ling when he was manager of, of, of Leighton Orient, and always stayed in touch with him. And he'd had had some tough times in terms of um, you know some of the experiences that he'd had when once he had to leave Torquay for mental health issues. But we always stayed you know, sort of fairly close and. Um, He'd actually come to Spurs to do some work in one of the colleges that I was working in, so um, worked quite closely as coaches and and that sort of thing. And you know, sort of, like I say, we were already very close already. And he, he got the opportunity as being an ex-Swindon player to get back into management, um, and he went in there as as the manager. Um, very fortunate that the guy who was the assistant there at the time, you know, under Martin, had somebody that. I'd played with as a kid, become very good friends with, uh, went to the same school. So the relationship between the three of us was quite well merged already, um, albeit in quite unusual circumstances that Martin had gone in above him, Luke was in the middle, and then and then there was me as the as the third member of staff. Um, I've sort of touched on it a couple of times already and said that my previous roles had been daunting, but I remember my first day, and it was all like a you know, real big whirlwind of, wow, I can't believe I've been given this opportunity to to come in and do this job, to actually getting up in the morning at you know, five o'clock or whatever it was to drive into Swindon, turning up at training on my first day and thinking, oh my God, wow, this is you know massive in terms of my coaching is going to be really tested now. These are full-time players, some players that have been at incredible clubs, um, you know, players that have you know not so long not so long before I joined were, had been in the playoff final. All of those sort of things start to go through your head and you start to think, wow, is it, this is the level that I'm going to have to focus on. I'm going to have to be at this every single minute of every day. I can't afford to take the foot off the off the pedal once because these people are going to find me out if I if my standards are not of the of you know of the highest level. Uh, so it was quite daunting. I remember standing there on the you know on the training pitch watching watching the first session and thinking, 
well, we're bottom of the league. <laughs> we're bottom of the league, and I've walked into this first opportunity. So there's loads of different things that were going through my mind at the time. Tell, tell, us, um, tell us about your first session then. That you put on. What, what was the first session you put on for the for the boys there? The first that? session, the first the first two days were, were sessions that were already being done. Um, Martin and Luke had been working there a week or so before I had because I had to work my notice period. So it was more a case of just me getting to getting used to who was who, what names were who played where. You know, I had a rough idea because I'd been, been been to watch them a number of times before I went in, but getting a real understanding of who everybody was and how they worked and you know the type of personalities were in there. Um, the squad had gone through a lot of change from the season before, so there was a number of characters that were not involved in the team at the time, and that was my first session. But but so we had a couple of days. We had our first game, and then we played on. We trained on the Monday morning, and I remember coming in and and, and Martin saying to me, "Can you take?" this eight group of eight players or whatever it was and it was everybody that had been left out of the team from the weekend so everybody's chins were on the floor yeah, everybody so you've got a tough crowd already <laughs> and I remember thinking well is this what it's going to be like every day um, but I think what I quickly learned was that it doesn't change you're coaching of, of course you know your expectations and your standards of working with first team players are probably a little bit different to what they would have been if you were working with the college boys that I just left behind or the top under eight. Um, but the actual way, you know, the way that you coach is, is you, it's your identity, it's, it's about what you're about. You don't try to change to be somebody else because I think that becomes something that's very, very dangerous if you try to be something that you're not. Um, and, then, and then the sessions that you put on are, you know, for me, are the, you know, are the, it's what you believe in, it's what, you know, it's how you coach, it's, it's obviously has to fit in with what the manager wants when you're at that level and, and, and how the rest of the club's working. But, you know, the way that you deliver and the sessions that you deliver at the time are, you know, I don't think they they particularly change what, you know, whoever or whatever you're working with. And so I think what, was, some... uh, what was your first session? Do you remember it? Or those eight players? What did you put on? I remember putting a part, like, very basic passing drill on just to, you know, just to get them started. And I remember, I remember thinking, I don't know if I've gone a little bit underneath the, the level here. Um, but I remember them watching and seeing that players at that level still had the same deficiencies that you know that players were would have had when I was you know working with with, with any of the groups that I would have worked with in the past in terms of you know people's particular body shape to receive the ball might have been different the way that they you know move or check to come to get on the ball you know, little fine details that I thought oh, hold on a minute I'm actually still I can still pick out the same things here when I'm coaching or what I'm asking for or if I want to evolve and move the session on. I can, you know, I still probably need to focus on the same things that I would have worked on with with most of the other groups. So, kept it very, very simple. I was probably very, very safe on my first experience. Uh, I'm just, um, I'm just interested yeah. as well because, like, you know, say for instance, you're working with young academy players. You're trying to get into them. You're trying to motivate them. You know, you're trying to get that intensity. I mean, obviously, a completely different environment working with pros. You know, you know, in some of, for instance, you know, some of them sacking it off or something like that. I mean, how do you deal with that? You know. You know, it's a very different sort of environment, isn't it? Yeah, I think some of it is is them te- on my, certainly on my first day or first session. It was it was people testing to find out what I was about. Um, so I think it was, but it was it was still the same. So go in, be energetic, be enthusiastic. Um, you know, don't try and overcomplicate things. I think I need certainly needed to ease my way in to make sure that I earned my you know earned my credibility and showed people that. Um, you know that I, that, I, that I knew what I was talking about. That my sessions were 
you know, were worthy of me being working at that level. So I think you know, the ultimate thing was that I didn't have to change my my principles. I didn't have to change the way that I wanted to work. I was still enthusiastic. I was still energetic, passionate. And then, and then you'd like to think that, that over that period of time of working with those players every day, that they start to see that, you know, that you, that you care and you try to work with them and, and you're going to try and improve them, whether they're in the team or not. And then I think um, that's the big thing with, with those types of players is, you know, you're in and out and their livelihoods are at stake, especially at the latter end of the season and that sort of thing. Once, But certainly once we got safe, it was, it, you know, you, I wanted those players to know that exactly the same way that we did with, with, with any of the younger players that worked with previously, I was there to help them and to try to get them, you know, make them better. That was ultimately going to make our team better and make us more successful, but would give them the opportunity to prolong their career or give them a further opportunity, whether it was with us or, or somebody else. And then tell us a bit about the, um, you know, the game day pressures. You know, you're in the dugout, you've got big crowds, you know, you work, you're yeah. under a bit of a pressure, probably, you know, football fans aren't, aren't backwards and coming forward, as they say. What was that sort of like in that being in that environment? Tough, very tough, and still find it tough now. Um, it was um, Swindon was a big club, and uh, and it, it's, it's no secret to a lot of people that it's a club that there's a lot of unrest within within that. Um, you know, the supporters at Swindon were having a, a tough time in terms of there was a lot of clashes with. The hierarchy at the club so there was times especially at the beginning because we were down the bottom but we, we had a good run to start with that took us sort of out and away from the danger zone quite quickly um so you know it was a little bit upbeat for a while but we were we were never quite you know at the top end and and, and pushing for probably promotion and and the, and the expectation that the club wanted alongside the fact that there was a little bit of animosity between the ownership and and the fans always meant that there was a little bit of unrest um, so that was that was very very tough and hard to deal with because ultimately supporters will voice their their um, frustrations and their disappointments at the team and the performance and and that sort of thing. So that was very difficult to to get your head around. There'd be games where you come out and think we've performed well or we've you know we've delivered a performance that was of the of the level or the type that we'd we'd worked on throughout the week. But yeah, at the same time we, we didn't quite get the win and uh, you know supporters would voice their 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 disappointment at that so that was very very tough to to learn and, and to deal with the other side of it that was that i found really difficult was that my family were very supportive of me and company you know, would be at most of our especially our home games and it, that was also very tough to know that when you're getting a little bit of stick well look you can take that on the chin you, you know you, you, it's part of the territory it's the environment that you're in but also at the same time you've got to look up in the stand and know that your wife and kids and mum and dad are having to listen to the same bit of bit of grief so that was that was something that you that I had to get my head around quite quickly um I'm still not a huge fan now of of match days when you get up and that that horrible sort of first feeling when you open your eyes in the morning of thinking oh god I've got a few hours to wait till kick off it's all that preparation all that nervous energy before before the game the actual games are, are not the end of the world because you're in it and you're amongst it and it's happening and you're constantly thinking and you're constantly occupied it's the it's the bit it's the bit beforehand that i find very very uh very tough to deal with it's it's, it's, an, it's an unusual feeling because like yourself and, and a lot of coaches that that would be listening you've spent so many years talk you know prioritizing performance still do that now you spend a lot of time 
you know, focused on players and you know, making sure that they develop and, and, and execute performance and, you know, are constantly developing, improving. That still happens now. But all of a sudden, you find yourself in an environment where, oh, and by the way, you've got to try and win every week as well. Otherwise, people are going to be unhappy or your job will be on the line. That's obviously, uh, you know, a, a huge pressure to have to deal with. And so, I mean, I mentioned, look, you talked a bit earlier when you were about Bournemouth, about structuring your week. How does it work then now you're at first team level, you, you, you play a game on Saturday, obviously it goes well or it doesn't go well. What does the, what's the planning preparation look for that week in terms of, you know, building up to the next games? It was funny, at Swindon we were very limited on our facilities. We didn't have our own training ground. So we used to have to change at the stadium, travel to training, train and then travel back, eat. So then therefore meant that we could never really do any additional work. We could never go out and do, you know, an afternoon session or we could never go out and say to a couple of individuals, no, no, just stay behind for a little while because we were like hiring a facility. It was, you know, very limited in terms of being able to get access to be able to go and continuously work with the players. Uh, what we've got at Orient now is we've got a real good structure. Um, first and foremost, the manager, um, Justin Edinburgh, has got a way of working where... He doesn't like. He doesn't want us to change too much. We stick to a plan. Um, you know, we've got. When I say a series of sessions, obviously that changes. You don't want training to ever be the same for players. But we've got a structure in the way that we work throughout the week, where you know the team sessions are 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 set up throughout the week that we ease ourselves in on a Monday. <clears throat> it's like you know, get everybody started again in terms of the way that we train on a Monday morning. They're quite light. We train. Um, quite tough on a Tuesday but every Tuesday morning um, both myself and, and the first team coach we take out um, between us probably 13-14 players we've got a squad of 24 yeah, and about 14 players come out um, and we work on whether it be individual techniques whether it be uh, group work we might have you know a group for heading we might have a group for ball striking we might have a group for finishing a group for crossing you know, obviously it depends on the on the personnel and the people that come out. Um, what we try to have on that is they, they get an opportunity to practice, like we were saying earlier, that opportunity to um, to home in on their techniques, like say either with one of us or, or, or on their own, where, they, you know, where they're working on particular, particular elements of their game. And then what we also try to do on a Tuesday is make that um, competitive sometimes, whether it be a winger against a fullback. So we're working on, you know, 1v1, work as, a, as the attacker and a 1v1 defending in a wide area as a fullback, whether it be a forward trying to work up against a, a centre-half, pinning a centre-half, receiving skills, uh, you know, facing people up, those sorts of things. And then at the same time, you obviously get that opportunity to work with, with the defenders. Um, so again, a real variety. And we can do that on a Tuesday because it's obviously quite a long way between having recovered from the game on the Saturday and then getting ready for the for the weekend's game. So we do that and then obviously the boys come back out uh, later on in the morning to do um, to do their, their group session and, you know, the, to train together as a team. Um, Wednesday's pretty much our tactical day, if you like. Um, we'll work on, you know, us, whether we work on the opposition, whether we work on, you know, attacking, defending, you know, obviously the theme will change throughout the week. It would be dependent on the previous performance and then obviously the opposition that we're coming up against at the weekend. So that Wednesday tends to be our, our real day where we focus on, on what's going to happen at the weekend. Uh, Thursday, we have Thursdays off. And what the reason behind that is that we 
feel that by having Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in, we can make the Tuesdays and Wednesdays very much more intense before they have that full day off on a Thursday. Um, what that also does let us do is if we ever have a midweek game, a Tuesday night game, which we have a lot of specifically at the first part of the season in this league, on the Wednesday morning, um, it gives you the opportunity to come in, analyse games, look at you know where we went right, where we went wrong, what we need to change, how we need to address it, and then be able to do a session with the boys that haven't played. So it helps us to maintain the fitness levels a lot better than it would do if we did it on a Thursday because it's so much closer to a game. Uh, and then when we come in on Friday, it's more about us just trying to take the pressure off the players, really. It's more of a um, lighter session, um, you know, basic little possession drills and, and an opportunity for the boys to get on the balls. And then, and then they play a series of small-sided games and try and you know, raise the intensity for that, but all, albeit over a short period. And then what we also do on a Friday morning is we have um, the same personnel that go on that work on a Tuesday. They come out and they do all their unopposed work. Um, they they get a real opportunity to if they want to do their finishing it's a little bit more I suppose light hearted a little bit more low intensity very little um, confrontation in terms of 1v1s or anything like that a lot of it is them on their own or them in pairs you know try and create some competition where you know it might be defenders working on their heading for argument's sake and try and put it into a little bit of competition where you know it's, it's light hearted but they're still getting that opportunity to practice and execute their skills and then it's obviously on to Saturday for, for the game. Wow. So, I mean, you mentioned there, so you're back at Orient. I mean, um, yep. this is your club. So, amazing opportunity there. And you, you've gone in there as assistant manager. I mean, what's that like now being there back at, you've done a full circle there now, and you, you know, you're, you're working there with the first team? Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Amazing that the opportunity came around that I lost my job at Swindon. We got relocated. We, um, we you know, we really struggled. And, and, um, yeah, I found myself out of work again, but the um, there was a new consortium that took over the club. The club had been put for a real turmoil, sad times in terms of the way that the club had been run under the previous regime. Um, the club had gone through double um, relegations, found themselves in the National League, and uh, a new consortium take over. Uh, actually an Orient fan, so, you know, having been spent so much time at this club both you know with this season ticket as a kid and that sort of thing and then and then the amount of time I spent you know playing and, and working it was a lot of people that I could familiarise with Martin Ling had gone back as director of football um, so a lot of again a lot of people that I'd worked with previously in the past and people that had you know we all had a common theme of our of our love and our you know, our um, desire for Leighton Orient to do well. So it, it was a bit surreal to begin with. I took the first week of pre-season on my own last year and, and had, had a free game period as caretaker manager, which was hugely wow. eye-opening uh, for me. But in terms of being able to work back in that environment again, what it, what it did for me really is working with a good manager like, like Justin Edinburgh. It gives me real opportunity to go and, and coach how I want to coach. And you know, obviously, I have to either... I, I work how he wants me to to work in terms of you know what we deliver and how he wants the team to play. Um, but in terms of how I structure what how the you know the training looks, how people work, when they work, the types of things that we that we work on with them individually and in their units on top of on top of everything that we do as a, as a group, it's been a, a you know a dream to to work back at the club in the in the in the role that I am. But at the same time, to work for a manager who gives. Gives me um, so much freedom to go and, and you know put together a, a way of working to, to continuously try to develop players um, at, whilst trying to make sure that we're winning games is, is you know is, is really really interesting and, and it's something I'm I'm really enjoying at the moment. 
And I mean, we, we chatted previously uh, a bit earlier before you came on air here. Um, tell us a little bit about the realities of playing at, at that, that level of football. Obviously, they dropped out of the league. I mean, obviously, yep. you've now, because obviously you've worked with League One at, with Swindon. I mean, what are, what are the harsh realities of work at, you know, of football at, at working in, in like that, that, that level? Well, I think yeah, we all have our idealistic way of how we think the game should be played or what we like watching. Um, you know, and the types of players and the types of teams you like, you know, you, 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 you go you go to teams, if you like, when you're observing football. Um, and the football, in, in the reality of the football in this league is, 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 isn't like that. It's not like, you know, it's not like going and watching Man City or Barcelona. There's a lot of um, rough and tumble. It's um, crash bang wallop some of the time. Crash bang wallop <laughs> at times. Um, it's uh, the, you know the physical element in the game from a lot of teams is is is, is the you know first and foremost thing that that stands out, and you have to notice. So you have to put a team together. And a group of players together, which we, you know, which we've been really fortunate of doing, that are capable of dealing with that, are capable of going toe to toe with that style of football and that approach, that you know, that aggressive nature of you know, of trying to make the game um, into into a war rather than rather than anything else. You have to be able to deal with that, you know, rightly or wrongly, and whatever you think of, of the way football football can be played. You have to you have to come to terms with that. We have to be capable of putting a group of players on a pitch that are physically able to match what the opposition are trying to throw at us and, and you know and what they're trying to what they're trying to do. And then on top of that, then you then we really try to try to make sure that we you know we can we can dominate the ball and, and play an exciting brand of football and, and you know high tempo. Um, you know, like I say, attacking brand in a way that we try to go about winning our games. And fortunately for us this season, we've. Um, we we managed to keep everybody pretty much fit throughout pre-season. We had a fantastic pre-season. Boys worked really really hard. We had some a real good games program, real realistic games program to to what we were about to go into with the league, and and, and we managed to get off to a you know a comfortable start, and and then then we we really imposed ourselves. What's very interesting for me is that a lot of our home games are teams that come and sit and put men behind the ball and and are, you know wait for us to break them down. So there's Often an opportunity where you there's 21 players in one half of the pitch trying to uh, one team trying to stop or not lose and the other team trying to win, and I don't mean that from a negative perspective. You know, in, at any level, if you go away from home to a, a big club in an impressive stadium um, with good players, you would go there and try to make it tough for the opposition, and we experienced that a hell of a lot. So from a from a coach's perspective and, and from us as a coach, you know, management team. We have to find ways of, of breaking that down, and it, and it makes it very, very interesting. It's made it even more interesting this year that we've managed to be able to do it and won more games than we've lost. Well, I suppose I was going to say as well. There's there's one of the key tactical themes from the World Cup, wasn't it? That dealing with yeah. the low block. So I mean, as yeah. a coach, then I mean, what do you what do you do then? You know, you've got this recurring problem. What's your you know, CPD or what do you, what do you do? So you know, you need to come up with ideas to try and support the players into solving this problem. How, where do you get your sessions from? <laughs> Watching, I think watching, watching us first of all, and then and how I, how do I set us up to make sure that we go out and you know and deliver a, a performance that fits with what the manager wants, you know, and as, and what we've decided is is the way of us playing. Um, but then at the same time, for it to to you know to to not be predictable in the way that other teams come and stop it. My CPD, if I'm brutally honest, is always quite limited because of the amount of time that I spend at work every day. 
Um, and the time off that I get corresponds most of the time with everybody else being off. So actually going to a session or watching a session somewhere else is very, very difficult. Um, so I do a lot of that by watching games, watching games at the top, because you know whatever way you look at it, whatever way you, whatever, whatever football we come up and, and, and we play, we're playing in at the weekend, if you're looking at what the very best players and very best teams are doing, I mean, you've always got a good opportunity of trying to replicate some that in some way, shape, or form in order to to try and gain some success. We've got uh, very good wingers in our team. We've got a number of players with, with pace and the ability to dribble with the ball. So it's really important that we try to create a, a style and a system that allows us to get those really important players that in our team on the ball. We're not. We've probably not got the stereotypical. Big front man that, that you know that the league suggests is, is you know is the way to go. So we you know we try to to, to break teams up and, and break teams down and, and, and like I say get our um, our clever bright wide players in the game to, to create ourselves opportunities. So I suppose it's trying to find teams um, ideas sessions that fit in with with you know with what we've got there and not just put on a session that, that, that looks like a good session but something that's going to be of benefit to to the team and the players and, and get us a result weekend. Interesting. And what about yourself personally? What's your, your, your ultimate ambitions in the game? You, you've literally gone through, I think you must have done every single job in, in, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the football world. Really. I haven't so, been a club secretary yet. But, <laughs> but I mean, so there's yeah. only, one, only one role standing, maybe the, the big, the tough, the one at the top, the, the manager's job. Is that one thing you'd like to do in the future? No, I've never. It's never been something that that, that, that I've um, set out to do. I, I'll be honest. I've probably never set out to do any of my jobs. They all, you know, all evolve and come around in, in you know, in, in various different ways. Being a manager's never been something that I've sat there and thought that I really wanted to do. I had the opportunity to do it for, uh, for three games last year when the manager, uh, the manager got the sack and, and, and before Justin arrived, um, and I enjoyed. I. I I love the fact that I was responsible for organising the day and, you know, this is when we're going to do our video analysis session. This is how I'm going to set the team up. This is the type of sessions that I want. I hated being the manager on a match day. Really didn't enjoy that. Um, so right now, that's not something that I would sit here and say that I really want to set out to achieve. Um, I feel that being an assistant manager or a first team coach certainly in, in, in the way that I'm working with the manager that I'm working with at the moment is something that I really enjoy. I, I think that's something that I've got a, a strength in, something that, like I say, I, I think I can enjoy my job every day, but I can also be of benefit um, to the people that I'm working with. got a real passion because I've because of where I've come from and, the, and the, the coaching that I've done throughout my career. I've got a real passion of, of developing players, and I think certainly... When I look at some of the players that we've got with us right now, um, some of the players that I worked with um, at Swindon, and the young players that I work with there, I feel that I've, you know I've got real strength to continue to to develop you know, young or you know aspiring players to to make them better and, and fit that into into um, into the way that we work to try to win games at the weekend. So I would like everybody. I'm ambitious and I want to work at the very best level that I can. Um, what that is, and, and you know how I get there, I, you know I haven't got that particularly planned out in my mind. But I, like I say, I feel that I'm in a in a role at the moment where um, where I've got you know a strength that I think I can continuously home in on. That you know don't need to look any any further above that in terms of trying to become a manager. 
Again, it's got to be getting Orient back into the well, getting up to the uh, to the Premier League, right? That's got to be the ambition. To the Premier League would be incredible, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that? But um, <laughs> no, I think the the, the the biggest thing for us is where the club's been, what the club's been through. It's about us getting this club out of out of the National League um, and back in the Football League. You know, people keep saying to me, "It's where we belong." No, you only belong where you you know where you end up, and, and the club's gone through turmoil and ended up here. Um, you know, we've got ourselves into a very, very good position this year in terms of being top as we go into the new year. There's a lot of competition in the league. There's, um, you know, there's 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 real financial backing at some of the other clubs. It's going to make it tough for us to to get over the line. But if you'd have said to us at the start of the season we were going to find ourselves top of the league at the beginning of January, we would have bitten your hands off. We've got a real good opportunity to try and get up now. So we need to, um, that's got to be our biggest focus. And ultimately, that's my biggest focus at the moment. Um, what happens to my career after that, we'll, we'll, we'll see where we go. But right now, it'll be about trying to get Leighton Orient back in the league. Ross, thanks for your time. It's been fantastic. Sorry, mate, we've got a little bit over, but it's been uh, been really, really good. No, no, thank you very much, Sean. Appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.